This evening I'd like to speak about faith, confidence in our potential to transform. There are different junctures in our spiritual path and in our daily lives when we start to wonder what is the one quality that's going to help carry us forth. So I'll repeat so you can hear me in the back. The talk is about faith, confidence in our potential for transformation. So there are certain junctures in our lives where we start to wonder what is really going to carry us forth, what's going to help us on our path, in our lives, with our children, with our families, help us have a beneficial way of working with ourselves and with others? What is going to help us on our spiritual path to uh, fulfill our highest aspirations? How do we navigate ourselves along the way? Sometimes it's so confusing. There are so many paths to take in a way. There's so many ways that we can handle, so many things we can learn, and it can all get very overwhelming. There are outer conditions that activate and trigger inner conditions, and it's hard to know which one to face first sometimes. We can feel unmoored by grief, by sorrow, by loss, and wonder how are we going to get ourselves back on a track. We might have fear around what the future may bring, especially those of us who are getting older. Last year I went on Medicare. People from the U.S. know what that is. It's a, it marks that I'm 65 years of age or older, basically. And there's a lot more things to do to keep this body going. You know, there's a lot more, uh, you have to remember to drink so much water and to have so much protein and to get checked up by the doctor and this and that, and now I'm in osteoporosis. And it's, it's quite a big chunk of your hours to take in the day to just to take care of oneself, I find. We see what's going on in the world at large and in our own family. And it's so close to us in our, in our own families, of course, but also the world at large is so much closer to us because of the electronic age we live in and the information age we live in. There's so uh, much overwhelm that goes on in my own mind about how am I going to juxtapose myself within all of this so that I can live my life in some kind of balance and yet be able to take it in. So we live in and we live within ourselves in this sea of vulnerability of all these changing circumstances. And I don't know about you, but it's hard to find faith in myself sometimes. 
that I can continue. It's easier to find faith in the Dharma. It's easier to find faith in my teachers. And I have to borrow a lot of faith from my teachers sometimes. And it's hard to find faith sometimes, not all the time, in my own ability to keep going. This is a poem that I love from David White. I read it often when I talk about faith. And I love his humility in his poems. I want to write about faith, about the way the moon rises over cold snow night after night, faithful even as it fades from fullness, slowly becoming that last curving and impossible slither of light before the final darkness. But I have no faith in myself. I refuse it the smallest entry. Let this then, my small poem, like a new moon slender and barely open, be my first prayer that opens me to faith. And it seems like that prayer has to happen over and over again in different ways at different depths towards different experiences. And always coming back to that quality of faith, that some kind of confidence that I could have, we could have in ourselves to take that next step. That's why it's so important to participate in a retreat like this, when things are put aside for the time being, and we learn to touch into what's most important to us. And we're not being called away by all the clamor of life, by all the pushes and pulls of life, but we can touch into that place of simplicity in our hearts and minds. And we can find a direction or refind that direction that we may have lost track of. So last year in April, I decided to, that I wanted to take a long walk. And um, I just wanted to walk as my retreat. And so I found myself walking the Camino de Santiago in Spain. How many of you know of that? It's, a, it's many miles or kilometers, depending where you start from. It's, um, I walked, last year I walked 200 miles of it from a certain point in Lyon, to Santiago, you can walk about 100 miles a week if, you're, if you walk around 15 to 20 miles a day. And that was a big leap of faith for me, to walk that much. I didn't even practice that much to walk. I do exercise uh, almost every day, but uh, to be able to actually take those steps and with that pack on my back and uh, go up steep hills and down steep hills. I have the shin splints to prove it, um, and a lot of calluses on my feet. It was really, it really took an act of faith for me to say, "Okay, I'll do it," and to make the arrangements to do it. So this Camino uh, de Santiago is called in English the Way of Saint James. Um, Santiago means Saint James, actually, in Spanish. And uh, it's a pilgrimage that has, is being done for the last 
thousand years at least, from many different countries, um, from within Spain, uh, from England, from Germany, from I met somebody from Sweden, um, various people from Germany and uh, Switzerland and France. And it was really, in, in some ways, a wonderful way to be alone with yourself, just walking. And not knowing what the next thing was going to bring, sometimes not knowing where you could find a place to eat next. There was one morning I walked where um, we didn't have my companion, a Buddhist nun, and myself. Uh, sometimes we took off early in the morning before there was any breakfast served because we wanted to leave before the sun rose. And there was one time when we walked about 17 or 18 kilometers before we could find any food to eat um, because we would stop at restaurants or, or little um, places. Of, they call them bars, but they have ca- co- mostly coffee, bread, uh, cheese, and olive oil. And um, I ate a lot of that, but I didn't gain any weight. <laughs> <laughs> and I loved finding the simplicity of life again. That all you, all you did was the major things. You know, you eat, you sleep, you go to the bathroom, you green, uh, groom yourself, and um, you meet up with friends along the way. You don't know them. Everybody's wishing you uh, buen camino, buen camino. That means uh, may you have a good path, a good path, a good walk. And so I found that I could really take time for my inner life. And I could move with it. I didn't have to sit still. I knew what I needed to do was move. And as I was on the walk, there were many times when we didn't know which path to take. We followed these yellow arrows on the road. Um, They marked the road where you need to go, but sometimes there were two arrows and we didn't know where to go. We couldn't find on the map, so we just took a chance and we found our way. Um, Sometimes it took a few extra miles to find the right way. And sometimes we took a way that was harder to walk than the other way that we would have walked. But we kept on, and we kept doing it. And we arrived at the destination, which was Santiago, where the remains of St. James are, uh, are buried, they say. So there were many ups and downs, many twists and turns, just like life. And it had to be for myself that I developed much more faith in my ability to have that much kind of physical exercise. I came out a lot stronger than I walked into it and with. And um, faith in myself that I could do walks that were steep and rocky and all of that. I, I'm not such a trekker. You know, I'm, I can do easy walks, but uh, never anything of that kind of difficulty. It's not all that difficult, but some are difficult paths. And um, not speaking to hardly anyone, you know, for those two weeks. My partner 
Sister Virinyani and myself spoke with one another once in a while, but mostly we didn't speak. We were just quiet with ourselves. So we made it to Santiago, to the place of uh, the destination. And at that time when I arrived there, and all during the time that we walked towards there, I would look back and see the various mountain ranges that I went over. They weren't tall mountains, maybe four to 6,000 feet. And I would look back and think, I walked over those mountains and through those valleys. And it seemed really impossible, and yet I did it. And now when I take a walk with my friend, Sister Virinyani, and I say, oh, I'm tired, let's go home. And she says, you walked halfway across Spain. You know, you can do this part too. So the development of faith I found in myself was step by step, bit by bit, over the high mountains and the steep passes and um, difficult times where we didn't know where we would end up. And by the way, I did it again this year since I was in Europe already teaching. So I went to Spain and this time I walked 300 miles. And, And this time I felt very confident. Also by David White is his poem called Santiago and it really describes kind of outwardly what happens but inwardly the same kind of things happen that finding those ups and downs and navigating the inward route so parallel to navigating the outward routes of life. The road seen, then not seen. The hillside, hiding, then revealing the way you should take. The road dropping away from you as if leaving you to walk on thin air, then catching you, holding you up, when you thought you would fall. And the way forward always in the end, the way that you followed, the way that carried you into your future, that brought you to this place, no matter that it sometimes took your promise away, the sense of having walked from far inside yourself, out into the revelation, to have risked yourself for something that seemed to stand both inside you and far beyond you, that called you back to the only road in the end you could follow, walking as you did in your rags of love and speaking in the voice that by night became a prayer for safe arrival. This is kind of how it is with faith seeing what's ahead, not seeing what's ahead, things blocking your way so you can't see the path, but you still take that step. You still go what you think may be forward, but maybe sometimes having to backtrack and letting that be okay. Finding your way, and this is what we're doing on our path here together. So this quality of faith is one of the beautiful qualities of mind that the Buddha spoke about often. It's one very important to remember 
when we feel we can't find our way in a moment or in a sitting or in the hot part of the day or the sleepy time of the day. Finding that quality of faith, that confidence in ourselves that we can keep going. So in the Dhamma, faith is sometimes described as a verb. It's described as placing one's heart upon. Placing one's heart upon. And what do we place our heart upon? It's our deepest values or our highest values. We place our heart upon that. And we want for ourselves, which is a a positive, a wholesome wanting, to seek the good in our lives for ourselves and for the benefit of others. Even amidst the difficulties, we can still touch into that willingness to do that. Sometimes we think it's something we don't have and we have to find it or kind of garner it from someplace else. And I must admit that my own teachers and elders have sometimes told me, borrow my faith. If you don't have faith in yourself for now, borrow my faith. And that really has helped me along the way. Uh, Last year, in November... And part of October, I took six weeks of self-retreat in New Zealand, uh, where uh, a monk friend of mine invited me to spend time at his monastery there, um, Achan Chandiko. And so I, I took some time to be there. And there again, I walked a lot. I really needed to, to just keep walking and to... Notice what's going on within me and around me um, in movement. And stillness wasn't really helping me during that time. And so it's a, it's a monastery that is what's called a forest monastery of Achan Cha from the tradition of Thailand, the great master of meditation, Achan Cha. And so uh, the teachings of Achan Cha and the various... Um, uh, Achans that also were trained by him, for example, Achan Sumedho, Achan Amaro, and, and Achan Chandiko. They have all his, his teachings around with pictures of him and his, um, the person who came before him, the person who is leading that group now after his death, and a, a great many beautiful high beings um, and their teachings all around me. And my yogi job was to organize the library. And I could read anything I wanted. So I read a lot at night. And it was so wonderful to be surrounded by the faith of these great beings, where every morning I would sit in a little sala, and I would uh, we'd meditate with a small group of people who were doing work on the land. And... Um, we'd be surrounded by all these pictures and sometimes the chanting of the uh, Thai forest tradition would be chanted on tape or by Achan Chandiko. And I really just felt the wings of that of those monks around me. And when I did metta in the afternoon, I did metta meditation in my walking practice, I sometimes saw my teachers in Burma. Just They were almost visible right beside me. 
And it, it was as if they were saying, we're here, you can borrow our faith. And so it's really helpful sometimes when you don't have that faith in yourself to remember those people who have that kind of deep faith in you, in your practice, and that who have told you or have given some kind of voice to like, you are able to walk this path on your own. And Manindra, when I was one of my first teachers, my first teacher in the Dhamma, when he knew I was kind of trying to borrow his faith too much, you know, he would say, the teacher only shows you the way you have to walk it yourself. And he would remind me, you must do the walking. I can give you a little faith, but you must do it yourself. And sometimes in a little bit of admonishment way, he would say, the Buddha solved his problem. Now you have to solve your own problem. You know, kind of giving it back to me. Not always taking it for himself that I had to hold him. I had to, he had to hold me in my practice. It is a commodity that we have already there if we can tune into it. Something that's already in our hearts. If we can open up that sliver that David White was talking about, that sliver of that last bit of moon that we think it's all lost. But there's something still there. There's some bit of confidence that we can have in ourselves to take the very next step and not listen to what anybody else says, but just take our own step and trust that. There's a, a story I'm, I'm going to do just for Kate. <laughs> it's a story that I've often told about uh, socks. <laughs> um, it's when I was, I was practicing with Seda Upandita, and there was a time in my practice where I, could, I just couldn't go on. I just, I tried to roll up the mat several times already and go home. And this time I was really determined. I was going, going to go into him and say, I can't take it anymore. I'm going. And so I went to him and in a puddle that I kind of dissolved in on the floor, I said, I'm going home. I can't take it anymore. It's too much dukkha. It's too much suffering. And I, I really can't take all of this incredible change that's happening and falling apart. And so he and another monk, um, a monk from Nepal, Uniyanapanika, would were speaking to each other in Burmese. And then it seemed like they were saying, oh, you know, they were having a well, what should we do <laughs> kind of thing. And so finally, um, Uniyanaponika translated what Upandita said to me. And he said, and I had told him the worst part of my practice is when I'm doing walking meditation. And so the, the teacher told me that when you really feel that it's very difficult for you when you're walking, very mindfully bend over and pull up your socks and then mindfully stand up again and then take the next step. And so I was in my 20s, you know, and I thought, okay, 
you know, <laughs> that seems easy enough. I was pretty naive. It was my first long retreat, and I was pretty naive, and I, you know, here are these great beings in robes, and okay, I'll take your advice. And so I, I did it, and, and I felt like, okay, I can take the next step, and it really just took taking that next step for me to continue. It wasn't a big deal. It wasn't like I had to do so many thousands of prostrations or um, Hail Marys, you know. <laughs> Actually, I was at a, a Christian, a, a Catholic monastery, that's where they were holding it, and there were nuns there, and I would hear them and saying the prayers, and I was raised a Catholic, and there were so many times I just wanted to say, I think I'm just going to remain a Catholic, you know, (laughs) and go in that room, but I never did. (laughs) So this faith in ourselves is so important. If you can find just one moment that you can do that um, in the day, or just hearken back when you feel like you, you just lost it all, just hearken back to something you could have confidence in. And it can be just remembering your, your pet's you know, wagging tail or your grandchild's smile or um, your teacher remembering your teacher's words that you can do it, it's possible. Whatever it is, hearken back to that and find that small sliver of that moon that seems to be disappearing but it's actually going to go into fullness again. So, strengthening our confidence and faith in our own ability is so important on our path. Each one of us has come to be on this spiritual path because we have some deep wisdom, intuitive sense that it will help us be better human beings. It'll help us be kinder to ourselves and others. We can develop wisdom. We can be wiser in a compassionate way. We're here because some part of ourselves really already believes that. We have some heart-based intelligence already. And sometimes it just gets lost. And we have to touch into it again. We want to be more peaceful. We we are all coming from basically the same place when we're here in this room together. We all want to be more peaceful within ourselves so that no matter what happens, no matter what stones are thrown in the pool of our minds and hearts, we know that at some time it will always come back to some peaceful place where we can look into that pool once again and it won't be so ruffled. We want to have a deep sense that it's possible to be more content, at ease with how our lives are unfolding. And we, we have a good sense of that. And again, when we lose it, we have to look back and remember sometimes that it's possible, that we do have it once in a while. Sometimes those moments when we feel that we can't go on are um, so full of delusion that we feel that that moment is going to last forever. It just puts out a sidewalk 
that we're going to walk on that's cemented full of suffering and dukkha, that we'll never find happiness again. And so for some moments of time, delusion comes in the mind, but it doesn't last. It does go away. Just allowing the awareness to come to, knowing that that's happening, knowing whatever comes up is happening, and keeping the attention in the awareness of what's going on helps to notice that the object of the awareness is changing, it's dissolving, it's not going to last. So we're able to allow those unpleasant experiences to happen without adding any more pain. And when we can be aware of those moments, when there's no denial of them, when there's no ignoring them, and there's just just this pure awareness with some faith with it, we're able to get through those times and go beyond those times. So whatever your spiritual aspiration is, remember that along the way, on that path there, there's always going to be these ups and downs, these hidden valleys and these hills that block the way and these rocky pathways and times that we slip and fall. There was a time when um, I was giving a... I usually teach in Italy once every 18 months, and um, I was going through this difficult time of faith in myself, and my friends there, um, one of my friends there wrote a book about her experiences in retreat uh, with myself and with Steve, and she said, I should read to you what you said one time. (laughs) And she said, "This, this was very important to me, and maybe it'll help you now. And it was a time when I couldn't see what to do, and I didn't know where to go. And I had to really be with the great unknown. And it was so uncomfortable. There's a lot of pain. And she, so she read this to me. And these are my words that she, (laughs) she wrote. She said, reality, or I said, reality remains unknown and unexpected. Can we surrender to the mystery of life, or must we control it? Can we strip away the comfort zone, the insecurity we feel, and experience all there is to experience, the difficult places in us? We have an inborn instinct for the mystery of life, to know it, to know life more clearly. And there is a curiosity for that mystery in us all, The willingness to surrender to all of life, to flow freely, that is called faith. So I said, oh, that's pretty good. I think I'll write it down and put it in my Dharma talk. (laughs) So I did. (laughs) Uh, But as you know, it's easier said than done. And so I can say these things and they don't always happen in myself. But they do sometimes. So intertwined with um, 
faith sometimes is, is aspiration. Our aspiration to uh, fulfill our highest or deepest values. And I like the word aspiration because it doesn't indicate kind of a fixed goal. It's sort of an open path that where you can't really see the end at this moment, you can be open to the mystery of what that would bring, but that you know, we know very deeply in our hearts that part of our highest aspiration is to be the best human being we can be in this life. And that that as a kind of foundation will lead us to ever-deepening wisdom and um, ways that we can transform very deeply, uproot the very, uh, those mind states that cause us a lot of suffering, greed and hatred and delusion. So when we can stay in tune with that open-ended kind of faith and aspiration to uh, venture into the unknown and to open to whatever we need to open to, to find our way through that path, to reach our deepest and highest goals, uh, values in life. This is what faith is intertwined with. It's said that faith is regarded as a hand because it takes hold. This is the kind of action thing it does again. It takes hold of profitable things, meaning whatever supports our well-being and that of others on our spiritual path, our aspiration. It's an energy that seeks the good. So it's, it's quite the opposite of attachment, where attachment with a lot of delusion and ignorance, it seeks after things that cause more suffering. But what faith does is it seeks after things that is a cause and condition of the lessening and the uprooting of suffering. So this seeking is a common thing that attachment and faith have. But attachment leading to suffering, faith leading to liberation. It's said that seek uh, that faith seeks spiritual friendships. So many of you um, have come together many times here in this retreat. We've been together as spiritual friends, and when I think of people when I want to be connected kind of energetically with people around me, when I feel that kind of weakening faith in myself, I think of you all, wherever you are, you know, and reach out. And when I'm sending metta, I see those connections going out. So it's not only going this way. I know it's circular. And I feel that connection of faith in spiritual friendship. Hearing and reading the Dhamma is one of the seeking of good that faith does. So by hearing the Dhamma here, by practicing it and deepening into it, reading it and uh, getting further guidance, this is really helpful. It leads us on that path. Opportunities to practice uh, the truth in our daily life, here in retreat, 
uh, in our business world, in our world of raising children and grandchildren. So this seeking of faith is, it's a wanting in a way, it's a seeking, but it leads to the end of suffering. The word for faith in the Pali language is sada, and I mentioned before that it means um, this placing your heart upon. So it has a lot to do with the heart energy, this ability to have a sort of softness towards oneself. We learn to place our heart upon and establish trust in three areas on the path with faith. We learn to establish trust in the teachings. We listen to them. We try them out for ourselves and we see what works. We take what works and we put aside what doesn't. And maybe what we have put aside comes back to us again and at another time it's helpful to us. We establish faith in our teachers, the teachers we've chosen that have the amount of integrity for ourselves that we can trust. And it's really important to trust your teachers, to know that we too, as your teacher here and now, we too are walking this path, know the pitfalls, and try to give you support of stories that we ourselves have tried to get out of the morass we've been in and things that work and things that don't work. And the third part is in oneself, which is really the most important of all the three and the thing that I've been talking about the most, having faith in oneself. Because if we don't, then the others don't work, really. One time I went to um, Burma. I've gone to Burma several times to do practice. And this time I went and ordained as a nun temporarily, as a Buddhist nun, temporarily. And I wanted to um, really be able to go more deeply in my practice and to understand things that I hadn't understood before. And so I went to my teacher, Sayadaw Upandita, at that time, and he asked me the question, why did you come here? Why did you come here to practice? You're so far away from home, and it's not easy to practice here in Burma, the food, the weather, the conditions. And I said, just very briefly, I came here to purify my heart, to go beyond what has already been known, and to know something deeper, some deeper understanding that could even be more freeing. And he was very, um, he just said a few short words to me. He said, you must be willing to invest everything you have in the Dharma. You must be willing to invest everything you have in the Dharma. And that didn't mean any of my material resources. 
what it meant was the resources that I had within me. The qualities of, for example, within the five spiritual faculties, the qualities of awareness, of faith and wisdom, of concentration, and uh, what's the other one? An energy. To be able to um, understand the Four Noble Truths as far as I could understand it so far, and the Eightfold Noble Path. What is supporting me? What have I practiced? What have I internalized as a spiritual being on this path? And that's what he wanted to remind me to invest whatever my inner resources were in that practice. When I looked at all of that, I realized that the thing I needed most was faith in myself, that I could do that, that I could practice in that way, with that, in that kind of austerity and renunciation, and the kind of long hours that uh, were asked to, to practice, waking up at 3.30 in the morning, uh, at 3 o'clock, and being in the hall at 3.30, doing walking practice and starting sitting practice at 4 o'clock and on and on and on and um, ending the day at 10 o'clock where you went to your room and you still had to practice in your room. So I I found my own way to balance within that and um, it was very, it was a high bar and I was able to find a way that I could do it. It wasn't the only time. There were other times. But most of all, of all those uh, qualities, it took faith to get to the next sitting, to get to the hall where we did our eating practice, to go and do those um, interviews with Sayadaw Upandita where I was always a little bit afraid (laughs) to say what I was going to say. But I found, you know, when I look back, that I could do that. And it wasn't that overwhelming for me. Sometimes I touched into just a little faith, and sometimes there was a lot of faith. So faith in oneself, the ability to do what needs to be done, over and over and over again, taking that one step, Sometimes doubt would arise. And um, when I was practicing with Manindra, and I would say, oh, there's a lot of doubt that I can take this schedule or that I can do what you've asked me to do in the practice um, as far as sitting or the... Uh, resolutions that I had to make in practice to go deeper. And he would say to me when I come to him, oh, this is Mara, this is Mara. Mara is the tempter or the temptress that comes to you and says, you can't do it. There's this kind of voice that comes around and says, you're not good enough. 
you haven't practiced enough, you can't do it, or start comparing yourself with another person, or what you did before in another retreat. And Manindra would use that, ah, this is Mara. Mara's tempting you to get off of your cushion, or to stop your practice, or to continue to, or to believe what is being said. And he would say, don't believe Mara, just whispering delusions in your ear. And so now when those words come to me, or those kinds of temptations come to me, this Mara is tempting us to stop and uh, to be distracted by something that will kind of lead us back on the hedonic treadmill. So I, I would say, I see you, Mara. I see you, Mara. It's just like having an awareness that delusion is there in those moments. I see you, Mara. And I remember the Buddha a lot of times. When uh, the Buddha was sitting under the Bodhi tree uh, 2,600 years ago, on, on his own personal quest for his highest aspiration, when he was tempted by Mara, uh, all these temptations came, came to him to stop his practice. And what he did was he took his right hand and he touched the earth. And he said, may, may the earth bear witness to my right as a human being to be free. I'm just paraphrasing. My, our right as a human being to be really free. And sometimes I might not do it physically, but I remember that as an act of faith in myself, that the Buddha did this as a human being to show myself and those who believe in that, that we can do it as human beings. And so may the earth bear witness to my right. It, does, it doesn't matter where I came from um, or what my economic status is or that you know I don't have so many letters behind my name um, of degrees. It just matters that I have a right as a human being to know what the truth is and to be freed with that truth. So when doubt sets in, um, it's helpful for us to remember that, that we have that right to be free as human beings. And there might be this short interlude where we can't see clearly, but if we can bring awareness to whatever's happening and not believe what we're hearing or thinking or feeling, that it's going to last forever. Just allowing it to do its thing, to arise, to change, and to pass away. In time, we'll see more clearly. The Buddha said that in the Dhamma, it's like setting out to cross a flood. This is what we're doing in our practice, setting out to cross a flood. In the ancient texts, there are descriptions of the function of faith to clarify like a water-clearing crystal, 
to overcome the hindrances of fear and doubt and attachment and aversion and lust so that we have the confidence to continue on the journey. So one, it's said that one of the proximate causes for faith to arise is something to have faith in. So whatever we've heard or whatever we've realized in ourselves or again going back to borrowing the faith of someone else we can have faith that it's possible for that person maybe somebody that you know personally where you see they're a much freer human being than they were before. I do that a lot. I think of people along the path and see and feel a great deal of joy for them and possibilities for others and even for my ongoing path to know that it's possible to be freer and freer as you go along on this path. It's said that as we go along on the path, we develop a kind of faith that leaves us in a place of unshakability, that we know that the Dhamma will bring us to complete liberation. We understand that, and nobody can veer us off of that understanding, off of that faith. So we... We, what comes from within us is this unshakable faith that if we keep going, that this will happen. We may meet many teachers along the way, and some of them uh, will show us places in themselves that aren't quite perfected. Manindra himself, you know, I used to um, talk to Manindra about, oh, you seem that you, you know, you're you're so clear and content within yourself and it seems like you've attained quite deeply on the path and he would always say to me my path is not yet finished there is still more to purify with great humility he would say that and sometimes I would say to him oh there's uh, in my younger days there were teachers around that I had mm, they were exposing parts of their uh, parts of themselves in their actions and in their words where I couldn't have very much faith in them. Um, but sometimes what they would write would be so beautiful, it would be so inspiring, it would help me along the way. And Manindra would say, sometimes a perfect rose can come from an imperfect giver. So don't judge so much, you know, that your teachers. Sometimes what they write, an imperfect rose, a perfect rose, did I say it there? Right. A perfect rose can come from an imperfect giver. So um, I came to understand that along the way. And I'm able to take more teachings from everyone, even... Um, those who are just starting on the path 
you know, sometimes what comes out of the mouth of beginners is so pristinely clear and uh, beautiful and pure. So I'd like to end with um, another poem by David White. You can see I'm into David White these days. <laughs> um, this is a poem called Start Close In. And it's about taking that next step. Start close in. Don't take the second step or the third. Start with the first thing, close in. The step you don't want to take. Start with the ground you know, the pale ground beneath your feet, your own way of starting. Start with your own question. Give up on other people's questions. Don't let them smother something simple. Start right now. Take a small step you can call your own. Don't follow someone else's heroics. Be humble and focused. Start close in. So let's sit for a moment. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.